Today we'll be discussing the television show Jury Duty, and we'll be re-discussing artificial sweeteners. This is Doctor vs. Comedian. I'm Dr. Asif Doja, and this is the Doctor of Laughs. Not a real doctor. Ali Hassan. Every episode, I pick a topic for Ali from comedy and entertainment, and I question him about it. Then Ali picks a topic from medicine and health and grills me on that topic. Today, we'll be discussing the new stealth hit TV show, Jury Duty, and we'll be re-discussing the controversy around artificial sweeteners and their link to cancer based on a new statement from the WHO. So all very exciting stuff, Ali, but I want to ask you something before we get into all this. It's about something that's been in the news lately, and it's about country singer Miranda Lambert. I don't know a lot about country music, so I'm like, isn't she married to somebody famous? And my friend's like, she used to be married to Blake Shelton. They're divorced. He's with Gwen Stefani now. I'm like, oh, okay, sorry about that. My apologies. How embarrassing for you. Exactly. So a couple weeks ago, there was this news thing that came out where Miranda Lambert was doing a concert, and she stopped the concert in the, in the middle because some people were taking selfies. And she's basically like, you know, we're here to listen to some music, have a good communal time together, and you guys are taking selfies there. Like basically telling them to stop and kind of like, I would say, shaming them a bit in public for their behavior. Did you hear about this? I did. There's a bit of a scolding, but what's important is to describe that concert atmosphere to get a Right. Hold on. Exactly. So I first read this on social media and I was like, Miranda Lambert, what does she think she is? You know, like she can just tell people what to do. What's wrong with taking a picture during a concert, right? And this is, of course, different than some places. Like I know when Kevin Hart was touring, you have to put your cell phone into like a locked bag and everybody Mm -hmm. gets a bag and then it unlocks when you leave the the facility. And, but that's a bit different. Often that's because they don't want you to record the set and then play mm-hmm. it later. It's a bit different. Comedy yeah. is a bit different than... Uh, than- Comedy is different, but uh, man, if that came into music, let me just say, because most of concerts right now, and you'll tell me if, if, if you've had this experience, most of concerts, whether it's a three-year-old's piano recital or the top music artist in the world, most of it is like trying to watch somebody on stage through a sea of raised phones and iPads. I remember sitting beside behind a, a woman who was filming her daughter for some, I don't remember what it was. I This is like a vague recollection of children's activities, but it was some kind of a concert. And I was basically watching the concert on this woman's yeah, through iPad. the phone. It yeah. was the uh-huh. largest iPad on the market, <laughs> and she was holding it right up. And I, I was just like, like, I don't know how to. Don't you want to actually just experience this for itself? No. Who's going to, no. you're going to watch this later? And who, do you, people, here's a little hint to people. Really the truth about Instagram and all social media and Facebook, nobody cares about your life. I know you think they do. Nobody cares. Well, you know, the influencers of the world would be very upset and and, and take offense to you. But also, it's the same thing that always used to happen. I don't know if you remember, when we were young, people would take all these pictures on their vacation Mm -hmm. to Florida. or And it's like the prevailing sentiment from others was, who 
is going to see all these pictures. Where are you going to show this? And and there were a couple of lunatics. There were a couple of lunatics who'd be like, come over, have dinner, and then all of a sudden, now it's time for the slideshow. I think my dad may have done that once or twice. I don't know if Ali was there, but we didn't own a slide projector, so we had to borrow a slide projector. And then, but I remember oh. setting up the slide projector. Oh, that's uh, funny. So, yeah, awkward. But so, yeah, we'll set this up in a second, but we'll it's a good say point. That your father's travels were quite entertaining. That's right. Though, yeah. right. You guys were in Bali and Thailand and places that, you know, most people weren't going at the time. So I don't know. Anyway, respect, the utmost respect to your father always. So as you said, Miranda Lambert, yeah. So it sounds like she was being a bit totalitarian or whatever. But when you actually read about it, as you were saying, Ali, this was a small theater. I think she's doing a residency at a theater. So it's pretty small, intimate theater, all seating. There's no standing. Okay. And then did you see the picture of the, one of them's an influencer, by the way. So this is already a red flag in my opinion. What? And then do you see the picture of this? I didn't see the picture. So the picture is these five or six women who got up in the middle of the concert, left their seats, stood in the aisle, turned around so they're facing the camera with Miranda Lambert in the background, mm. and then had people take a bunch of photos. And to me, that is completely different than people sitting in their seats, taking a selfie of them, or even, say, turning around in their seats slightly so them and their friend can have a picture of Miranda Lambert in the background. I think that's completely different, right? Like, what do you think? I mean, I don't think it's completely different. I think it's a logical, if not incredibly unfortunate and disappointing, but logical extension of what already happens in, in society. Yeah, yeah, you don't right? approve of it. You're just saying I don't approve of it, but it's like my celebrity status is <laughs> I almost have to put it in quotations, but I have had people like, Can I get a picture with you? Okay. So already they should be aware that they're sort of monopolizing your time, but but there's this idea that, you know, your time means nothing if you're a celebrity. Oh, can I get a picture? Sure. And this person, I remember one particular time, took like three or four pictures, looked at her camera, was not happy with the way she looked in any of them. And I was like, actually, hold on, hold on. I have to take, uh, I have to take more. And then I had to wait while she looked at those pictures she took. And I was like, I don't care how you look in these pictures. I also have, I have things I need to do. Like, I'm, you know, so this is that on steroids. This is that. This is like... I don't care that this is an intimate venue. I don't care mm -hmm. that Miranda Lambert is doing a, a show where it's seating. I have to take a picture of Miranda, right? This is like, this is logical to me. I understand this and hate it, hate everything about it, but this is where we're at, right? And this is actually, if I'm being honest, this is like a, this is a half episode right here. It's such a loaded <laughs> yeah, discussion yeah. To, to talk about this because- this is the issue. You want fans. You want fans. And in pre-social media, what you wanted, you wanted what were called product advocates. Mm -hmm. You wanted somebody who would take your brand, your service, and talk about it organically to other people, right? We all know people like that. Some people will just do something. They'll use a toothpaste and they'll enjoy it and keep their mouth shut about it. Other people will be like, Okay, so I bought this toothpaste yesterday. It's unbelievable. You have to try this. Right? There's people who just talk about I've got the, the best toothpaste for you, the best toothpaste, right? Okay, well, that's that's Donald Trump, but it's <laughs> I'm just talking about human beings who are naturally yeah, product yeah, advocates. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And that's what you want. That's what you want. So right. that's what in a way these influencers are those natural product advocates who've now found a way to monetize 
they're they're mouthing their true career. true and you can imagine if this was a not so famous singer right a yeah. hundred people in the audience uh, and a big influencer is taking a picture at your concert that would be great right now of course the prominent people in the photo is not Miranda Lambert. It's the people taking the photo. I mean, yeah. the other, you're right. This probably should have been a full episode, but anyway, we're on the topic now. So we might as well finish it off. Other, also, if you read it, the inter, now this person's been interviewed, this influencer, just so ridiculous that we've been having this conversation. But uh, yeah. they said, well, I wanted to show everybody, you know, we paid so much for these seats. I wanted to like basically brag about, you know, how good our seats were. I'm like, it's why? She but, said in the but, but, yeah. but, but, you know, essentially. But it's also like there's this idea, as you said, that I paid the money so I can do whatever I want. I'm going to a comedy show. If I want to talk to my friend during it, I don't, well, I paid good money for this. Shut up. Just tell your stupid jokes. Right. No, you, and you can have that, but then you suffer the consequences for that as well, whether that's a scolding from Miranda Lambert or that's, uh, that's security escorting you out because your payment of, a certain price of ticket shouldn't dictate that you behave in a way that affects the the show negatively, right? Otherwise, if you're saying that, can't a, a thousand people at the show also say that? I paid this much. I can go on stage if I want. I can do whatever I want. Yeah, you can, but don't get upset if a security guard yanks you down by the leg and throws you and, and you have a concussion. Um, now it's just, now it's just wishful thinking. It's entitlement at its logical next step. That's what it is. It's the entitlement that, that we see everywhere in every single traffic light and grocery store interaction and all that. And it's, it's just that, and it's the reason why it's a broader subject is, is that idea that you just suggested us that this is what you want. You want fans. You want fans. You want fans who love you and all that. But now this is this is what you get also with your fans. So, and also we're in a society where that that influencer was interviewed. I think that's the worst part of this entire story. Totally, totally. right? Yeah, a nobody now becoming famous. Speaking of which, no, but but they're not a nobody. They're an influencer. That's hilarious. They're they're an influencer, and so whoever interviewed them now piggybacks on no, the amount of viewers no, they no. have. Right? That's, that's what we're really talking about. Right. It's so bad. It's that we have to interview the in influencer because if they have a half million followers, right. some of then them will we'll watch, watch our news piece or whatever, right? or listen to our podcast when we have this loser on next week or not. What? Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, Ali, I'm so excited. Ali ruined my trend. Transition. So I was going to say, a nobody becoming famous. That's why we're going to talk about jury duty. Yeah. That was pretty funny. Ali, that yeah from the previous part, that sounds like if you heard Dana Carvey's impression of uh, Joe Biden. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even do it. Yeah. Because Joe Biden yeah. is really good. He just gets, he nails down. Yeah, right? folks. He uses the word folks a lot. Yeah. Come on, come on guys. Come on. Anyway. Okay. We'll um, move on from that. Trump and Biden. What are we, a political show all of a sudden? Okay. So, Ali, I did want to talk to you about Jury Duty. Jury Duty is this show that is on it's on amazon freebie and now it's on prime video it's a very unusual show that has developed a huge cult following so i want to talk to you a bit about it and get your thoughts on it uh, because there's some very interesting improv and acting that goes on in this show so basically the 
premise of the show, for those of you who haven't seen it, is it's a film like a documentary, but it's actually a mockumentary because they hire a bunch of actors who are, you know, participating in a jury civil trial. Okay. Uh, the catch is one of the jurors is not an actor and they're a real person who they recruited who thought that they were just being part of a documentary about jury duty, but they're actually an actor. So it's a bit of a prank, hidden camera, Truman show type show, but it's also a mockumentary style comedy in the vein of Parks and Recreation or The Office or Modern Family, where there's, you know, confessionals and people talk to the camera, right? So it's 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 very interesting. It was created by Lee Eisenberg and Gene Stupnitsky. These guys previously worked on The Office. So basically, they wanted to make something like The Office, right? And the goal from the very beginning for this show was they didn't want to be punching down at this person who was the the, the real person in it, right? Yeah, I, I would refer to that as the uh, Ted Lasso effect, personally. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I mean, that's... I don't. I shouldn't say that because these things can happen independently. And I think, you know, it was a show that it was like during, after the pandemic. So it's like the tone. And we did the same thing with live like comedy shows that we were doing. We did the same thing with a show called Canada Reads that I host. We wanted a more collaborative approach. People who did animosity and, and tension and conflict wasn't a big deal for them. So it's 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 in that whole world. It's in the Ted Lasso world, I should yeah. say, not the effect. And, right? and so, you can see how these guys, the, the Office is a perfect example because the first season of The Office, there is a change as The Office goes along, right? The first season is, is very much like the British Office, but you kind of don't like Michael Scott, right? And to by the end of the series, by the time Michael Scott leaves, you have this warmth and affection to him. And, not, and everybody, even though they argue in The Office or whatever, there is a warmth to all of them. You know, when Dwight gets married, it's actually a, a, a touching thing. And so, and Parks and Recreation learned that very early on. The first few episodes are not very good. And they kind of learn, like, we're not going to make fun of Leslie Nope. She's going to be our warm, strong character. And so, but how do you do that in a show like this, where one of the people is real? So they had to find this person who's the main character, who's this guy named Ronald Gladden, who's 30 years old. He's from San Diego. He's a Home Depot project project manager. I think he works in solar panels for a Home Depot. And they had 4,000 applicants who responded to a Craigslist ad asking for people to participate in a jury and take part in a courtroom documentary. So that would, and they would get paid for it. And that explains why there'd be a camera crew following them around every day. And so they interviewed him and they they just couldn't believe they found a guy who was like kind and warm and funny. Like they said, it's a once in a lifetime find. He's like an every man, but who who has this, this, this ability to be kind of charming and warm. So that, that was basically it. Then, what the creators had to do was create basically a fake court case, right? And they had to pick a civil trial because it's illegal, I guess, to fake a criminal trial. So you had to pick a civil trial. And so a bogus plaintiff and defendant. And then every episode is another kind of day of the trial as they're moving forward, presenting evidence. So, yeah, I mean, like, so it's simply it's the office in court, but really it's it's this this complicated web of this hidden camera show, mockumentary, and, and sitcom. Well, a very interesting thing that I'd read, and this is a Vulture article that we'll share, is uh, when they asked one of the creators or the, the, the producer of the show, Todd Shulman, 
what other settings or were there other settings that you were considering besides a jury for this show? Now, obviously, the setting was so critical that it became a show called Jury Duty. But Todd Shulman goes, yes, but I don't want to share what they were because you'll think I'm a sadist. And I'm like, oh, my God, I want to know what those were. What the hell were you going to do? So it might have been something in the... um Oh my god, I'm blanking on the name that that Korean sort of game show. Oh, Squid Game. Squid Squid Game. Oh, it might yeah. have been in that spirit. That's true and, and made then, it just so ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. And if he's saying you would think I'm a sadist, then then it it suggests to me that originally it wasn't as feel good and optimistic. Yeah, in, I didn't in, think in about tone that as they were creating it. I didn't think about that. And uh, you know, usually with these shows, so this show is very similar to a show from the early 2000s called The Joe Schmo Show. You've told me about this show. Explain to people what that concept was because this is 2003. This is early reality right. television. Exactly. I never watched Joe Schmo. I've read about it. I've heard references to it many times. Explain to people what the what the uh, concept was behind. Yeah, Joe there Schmo. were there were two seasons of it in the early two thousands, and they kind of did a reboot about ten years ago. So this was remember early two thousands. Survivor was becoming a huge hit. Big Brother was huge. So it's it, they wanted to do a, a takeoff on these reality competition shows. So think about reality competition like a Big Brother. People living in a house and various things happening, right? And what they did was very similar to what's happening in jury duty. They had a bunch of actors and then one real person. And he thought he was competing against other real people, but they were all actors. And of course, every week someone gets voted off. But of course, it's never going to be the main character because he has to stay till the end. And funny stuff happens every episode and the host is in on it. So it, it was quite funny, but it, that was more of a, I would say, a big brother kind of takeoff with a bit of Survivor put in. The interesting thing about Joe Schmo shows is created by Paul Wernick, who's a Canadian guy, and his screenwriting partner, Rhett Reese. Now, you might know these guys because they wrote Zombieland, Deadpool, Deadpool 2, and the upcoming Deadpool 3. So they this kind of like helped them take off, basically, into fame by writing Joe Schmo. And Joe Schmo has been very influential. You read a lot of interviews. A lot of people love this show, particularly the creators of Jury Duty. So th this that was a big influence in terms of this show. So jury duty, they I guess they found an abandoned courthouse in, in California and they had to like clean it up and have all these secret rooms where they can have all the cameras. And of course, they endeavor, if you watch the show, to get the jury sequestered. They weren't supposed to be sequestered, but things happen. And a lot of this has to do with James Marsden. So Ali, before you watch the show, were you familiar with James Marsden, the actor? Oh yeah, of course, of course. I know I didn't know about Sonic. Yeah, he was in uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> That's a joke. If you that. have not seen the first episode, you will. Um, uh, I won't ruin that for you. I won't ruin that for anybody. Now I haven't finished it. I don't have the same okay, uh, okay. free time that my pediatric neurologist. Buddy does oddly. I'm a comedian. I should have lots of time, but I haven't finished it yet, and I'm, I'm kind of excited. I'm like every episode. I'm like, oh man, what's going to happen? You know, like I, 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 I greet every episode with, uh, with an interesting enthusiasm. Because of Which what speaks to yeah. the way it's filmed and, and what kind of show it is. I really like it. Because what happens in the show is every day they have to react to what's going on with this guy reacting to 
to what's going on. So I'll, I'll give an example from, well, I probably shouldn't ruin things from the first episode. I won't. But James Marsden is a pretty famous Hollywood actor. He was in X-Men. He played Cyclops in the X-Men movies. He was in The Notebook. He was in the Westworld. He was in Sonic the Hedgehog, as Ali mentioned. He's been in a lot of things. Like, you definitely recognize him. And he plays basically a, a kind of a, a more jerkier version of himself mm-hmm. and who's also brought in to do jury duty. And it's just so interesting reading these interviews with James Marsden and uh, how he signed up for it. He was intrigued when he first heard about it, but he's like, we cannot be making fun of this innocent person. Like, that's not... Yeah, he wanted it to be not a punching down show. Yeah, which was, and so... Right? And I, yeah. I can't... I always wondered, like, did that influence what the producers were thinking or were right. they already on board? And yeah. Like, no, it sounds like they were already on board, but I don't know. Like we don't know, but James I believe Mars, nothing. Yeah. yeah. James Mars is definitely like a mean person in this. So that obviously helps with some of the star power in the show. And I will say this, like if you, this is dating myself a little bit, but one of my favorite shows on television ever was the Larry Sanders show. But if you enjoy watching shows where, actual celebrities are just playing themselves, but it's not themselves. It's like a, a terrible version of themselves. I just love that. I just, I don't know why, but it was one of my favorite things to see somebody who's really cool and suave, you know, the, the, the George Clooney's and the David Duchovny's of the day who were really enjoying like a rise to fame and they're like cool and you see them on red carpets and then they're like these really like sniveling like was that good is that good i don't know if it's good i feel really weird i'm like I'm and they like play like this pathetic or arrogant or like really sad version of themselves i got off on that always i really thought that was the best i find that that's such a great choice to me that speaks volumes about those people as actors that they're so confident in themselves that they don't mind playing a gross version of themselves like it's supposed to be themselves but they're they're in on the joke you know they're not like they're so confident who they are so i i loved watching marsden do what he did and i will continue to love it so what's interesting about the show is it came out in april and nobody cared it came out to zero buzz i remember reading i i heard about it i read about it on some entertainment websites so i'm like oh it sounds interesting and i read a couple of reviews and they were kind of pretty middling they were they weren't that good so i was like i don't i guess I'll, I, said, I said maybe i'll get around to it sometime maybe in the summer i'll get around to it but i didn't really think just about to it. add to that asif just to add to that uh, i know you always want to know what the hollywood reporter is saying about stuff the early reviews that came out, you know, when it it was it was the screeners were sent out before it premiered. Hollywood Reporter called it a bad show for benign reasons, and even Todd Shulman, that exec producer that I just mentioned, he says this is a quote from him: "The vibe at the screening, I would describe very much as we made a show." We should be proud of that, which oh, is wow. like, which is like, hey, we, we we did a thing, everybody. Isn't that nice? And and they had zero expectations or, or very low muted expectations, I would say. And they didn't think uh, much was going to come out of it. Even, even Marsden was saying also, is this going to do weird things for my career or is this going to do nothing right. for my career? Exactly. It was either bad or zero. Nothing existed in the good positive space. And, and it's interesting because you think it might be bad, right? Like you're lowering yourself to doing a TV show. You're a movie, big famous movie star, though he was on 30 Rock and a couple other shows and Westworld. But, but then you're on one that's either a failure or just nobody cares about, right? It's almost worse if nobody just 
it just kind of passes by in the night, right? So, and it's also on this Amazon freebie. I don't even know what that is. Very unusual. I think it's the ad-supported streaming platform from Amazon, but again, it's very unusual. So nothing really happened. And then came our good friends at TikTok, right? We hate TikTok on this podcast because they- We don't. Asif got banned from TikTok twice, I believe. So, so they, for no reason, by the way, but you can check out old episodes for that. So I guess lots of clips started circulating on TikTok as people, especially liking Ronald, the, the main character in the show. One of the show's writers named Carrie O'Neill shared the trailer on her Twitter account, but just wrote, we Truman showed a man, right? Like as in the Truman show t- TV show. Yeah, uh, I don't, is that accurate? Like, no, but she just wanted to get Truman people. Show, right. Okay. She, well, yeah. is it what well, Truman show? They kind of did. There's also Ed TV, which came out at the same time. So, so, yeah, no, he didn't know. So, so yeah, I think it's similar. I mean, obviously, Truman Show was his whole life. and But the tweet got 1.3 million views. So that started to really pick up. And then James Marsden was, was quoted as saying, after the first episode aired, he eventually started getting texts from random people. He, and they kept saying, you're blowing up on TikTok. He's like, what do you, what do you mean? I don't understand what you're talking about. Not, not so much random people, but he's a people he had not heard from in a long yeah, time. Like exactly. people, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So old friends or whatever. His, his phone number wasn't leaked or anything. Yeah, yeah. So he's like, it's just strange. And so, but he said, whenever he walked out from his hotel, if he was filming on location or something, you know, go, I was just walking to get a coffee, people would stop him on the street about jury duty, but they were always under 30. Right. So then he's like, okay, something's going on here and everybody's talking about it. And in fact, like I told you, I was kind of putting on the back burner. And then one of my friends, Amy, who's a listener of our of our podcast, she's like, Have you seen Jerry Duty yet? She stopped me in the hallway at work. Seen Jerry Duty yet? I'm like, No, she's like, You gotta watch it. Then she had to go do something else. So she ran off. I'm like, That's exactly how you pitched it to me too. I'm like, that you also were like, hurry up and watch it. Because this show is really, well, let's talk about it. It, it, it really is best to not know a lot about it going into it. The, the more you know and the more you know behind the scenes, it, it, that's great to know after the fact because how they pulled off some of the stuff is absolutely amazing. But it, it's, it's very interesting. So I'm curious, Ali, I have a couple of questions for you specifically. So the first one is, what do you think about the show from what you've watched so far? And then I have some questions about the acting in it. I I love the show because as James Marsden said, his main concern was like, I don't want a show that mocks or humiliates that one person. I think I, I really like it for that reason. This is kind of celebrating a man. Now, there's a sad commentary there too. The last time, our reference is a show called The Joe Schmo Show from 2003. Like, is that... Is that how long it takes? 20 years to get a show where we celebrate an everyday man? Like, people are like... Nice guys don't finish last. This guy's amazing. You know, it stands out so much that it makes you think about, oh, how horrible is society that that this show has to a show like this has to come along so infrequently to make uh, to to really stand out and make an impact. But that aside, I'm a big fan of this format. I love what they did with this one particular guy, and you can read a little bit about sort of the casting process to get to him. But I think they nailed it, but it, it almost feels like lightning in a bottle in a way. Like you, I don't know how you would guarantee that you get a person because as he, as one of the producers was saying, like he was sweet and he was generous, but we also didn't know when we were going to do the big reveal to him, how things would go. Said, people are people, right? It's like, you may know somebody your entire life, but you don't know them in a relationship. Mm-hmm. You, you don't know them in a 
very you know high conflict ten, conflict tense situation exactly how things are going to go uh, sometimes you don't yeah. even know yourself and that i definitely won't ruin for you what happens at the very end of it that's that's that, that would be ruining too much but it's interesting going back to the joe schmo show as you're saying they had the main guy and that was named matt so he was a real person on the show and he was also they they found the perfect guy because he was like a kind funny person you know when people would do crazy things on the show he didn't get angry or upset or make fun of them he just yeah. you know responded like a kind person would and in fact when they were doing jury duty like how do we get our our mat how is that possible and they somehow were able to perform this miracle and th- to be honest with you, the second they have a miracle it's crazy we're calling it a miracle yeah. they found a kind person what a miracle <laughs> we're all jerks. What I'm saying the, we're the, all jerks. the second season of uh of joe schmo the, the guy was okay it was not quite as good not a jerk or anything and of course there was this other show kind of the cousin of these shows called uh, joe millionaire do you guys remember joe millionaire that was i've, I've heard reference to so it a this was a takeoff on the bachelor mentioned. So the main character on the show, The Bachelor, this one was supposed to be a rich millionaire, but he wasn't. He was an mm, average Joe who right. was a construction yeah. worker. And of course, they have to reveal that at the end. And that's, you really are making fun, not of that guy, because he was kind of, he knew about it, of course, ahead of time. Yeah, of but, course. But the yeah, yeah, contestants yeah. of the show didn't know. So they all yeah. thought they were like looking for this, you know, bachelor millionaire guy and were told he was. They, they were out and out lied to. So yeah, it's, it's a bit uncomfortable. So yeah, I like that. The other thing I like about this show is the acting in it. So everybody, like I said, on the jury, the bailiff, the judge, everyone is an actor, okay? So the issue though is that acting they have to stay in character all day all the time and improv around everything that goes on so much so when they do those little one-on-one confessionals that they that that you see similar to the office or modern family where they're talking to the camera they'll do that but in the background is the real character guy ronald and so he thinks they're just doing confessionals as part of the documentary but they, in the confessionals, these actors also have to try and make it funny because they, they're they also in a comedy. It's not just that they're in a spoof of a jury. They're in a comedy. And so they have to say funny lines, but they can't be too funny because then you'd know it was written. So this tightrope they walk is so interesting. So I want to ask and you. Also from, if you think about the camera work, they're trying to catch Ronald's reactions to funny things that are happening without being too obvious about, and you can't be like, quickly get Ronald, get Ronald. You know what I mean? Like you don't want to give it away. You're trying to create a show here. So the tightrope is not only in front of the camera, but behind the camera too. I thought about that a couple of times. Like, oh man. You have to be very, very subtle. Like those morning meetings had to be very like closed door morning meetings, reminders, do not ruin it. Do not give up to, you know, don't blow it with Ronald. And and so, yeah, so how would you, how difficult is that as an actor, I guess is what I'm trying to get at because. The difficulty also is, you mentioned difficulty. So I want to bring up this, this point too. You or I could have never been on this show or or I'll speak for myself. I'm watching the show and I'm like, oh, there's Kirk Fox. This guy's a terrific right. comedian. Yeah. He's on reservation dogs. Yeah. Oh, there's Mickey Leeper. Oh, he runs the student paper in se- Sex Lives of College Girls. I know that guy. I, you know what I mean? Like I'm seeing faces. It doesn't make any yeah, sense. Yeah. So you this is the part that amazed me. Yeah, you found a kind and generous guy. <laughs> Those people exist. But you found a kind, generous guy who doesn't know any of these other actors. Right. This is like the tricky part. I wondered like if the casting process involved, like what kind of shows do you watch? And he watched plenty. He knew James Marsden's resume, right? He knew exactly who he was. But that I find 
it's impressive that they were able to find this person from that perspective, mm -hmm. that he wasn't like, totally. I know this guy from somewhere. But from an acting point of view, you know, they, they talk about this in these articles. Acting is, and we've, we've discussed this, the, the way to describe acting is like it's, it's described by the term hurry up and wait. In other words, you get a knock on your door, on your, on your trailer. You're like, okay, we're, we're ready for you. And then you get to set and then some lighting issue, something, and you're like 45 minutes just waiting. You're like, oh, pretty aggressive knock at my door 45 minutes ago for nothing. Or like, okay, we need you. We need to get now you're, you know, in, in my case, sometimes I get a beard or you know, some kind of facial hair put on or wig and they're like rushing you into the chair and then you don't even work till after lunch. You're like, why was I here at seven in the morning to get this beard on? But you just don't, there's just so many things going on to make this borderline miracle happen, right? So this is the opposite of that. This is like, please sit in that chair and be on camera. Maybe, maybe not. You're not even going to know if you're on camera, but constantly stay in character. This is who you are now. And we're going to have long days. We're being sequestered. So it's going to be like 10 to 17 hours. Like we're filming and it's like, you, you know, to get, that's another thing about James Marsden and this entire cast. They all knew what they were getting into and still were like, yeah, we'll do it. Yeah. Like that's amazing because a lot of people get used to, no, I need my trailer. I need this. I need this. These are certain things. I, you're not leaving and going to a trailer, right? You're not leaving the set. You're just on the set. The set is your life. I mean, I can't impress uh, enough upon people how incredible that is. Like we make fun of some of the actors I know who are on kids shows. We'll sometimes be like, it's funny on a kids show, especially because it's typically lower budget right? Because they're on kids' networks. They don't have the same type of... So if you ever go, you know, somebody who expects to have a trailer, where's my trailer? On a kid's show, it's like, we don't have a trailer, but there is a folding chair in that tent over there. Like, that's what you're getting. That is luxurious compared to what these guys are getting. There's not even a folding chair in the tent. This is like, you're just, you're sitting on set all the time. So it would be quite difficult. And I certainly, I can think of a few people who would just be like, this is stupid. Why do we sign up for this? This is so like I can I can hear the complaints from actors just as I imagine their yeah. Fans. So so the, the the casting on this had to be primo selecting. It did. The cast, I mean, right? look, like... I've totally I, I I've worked with if I could just put it into the comedy world. I've worked with comedians who are like, this is the gig. This is who the audience is for. It's a fundraiser for this. This is where it'll be. This is how much we can pay you. They say yes to all of it and they get into the green room backstage of the show and it's just like, so stupid. I can't believe I agreed to this. Like the look at how many people are in the audience and tickets are 50 bucks. Why are we only getting a hundred bucks? This is dumb. Like what is this fundraiser? Right? Like they're like a cancer in the green room. And that is all they need. All we need from that person is 20 minutes on stage. So the casting, I mean, they could not have told these actors enough times. Hey, by the way, 17 hours on set. Again, I must reiterate, you will not have a trailer. You will not be leaving set. So, I mean, full respect to all of them. I assume they signed on knowing exactly what they were going to get because Hooves production to have performers who are able to stay in it and not be like, I'm sorry, excuse me, director, uh, this is bullshit. And they have to be like, hey, 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 
Ronald is listening. You can't call me the director. You can write it. You got to constantly. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. I don't know how, 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 how better to paint the picture, but he's absolutely insane for for actors who are used to a different way of performing. So I give them so much respect. I think I would sign up for something like this for the challenge, but it would make no mistake about it. It would be a, quite a challenge to be in character all the time because normally, just to hammer home this point, normally the director yells action. You have already scoped out, okay, A cam is there, B cam is there. It's the first camera and the second camera. So you know exactly where the angles are. You know exactly where to stand. You're told everything. This is like, I mean, the amount of like pre-rehearsal before Ronald gets there has to be a lot. And then you don't know where the camera is. So just, it's like, just be in character always. Always. Oh, you mean so for like the next 10 minutes? No, no, the next 10 hours. So I just, uh, I mean, it's a phenomenal show from that perspective. You, If you know something about the acting world, which, you know, that's why I'm trying to impart this. It's something to be impressed by, really. Well, a couple of things just to finish up here. One is a little trivia for you, Ali. The judge is played by Alan Barinholtz, who everybody is, knows the Barinholtz name. Right, he was, he was a judge, a, judge, huh? a real judge, yeah. and then but he then became an actor. And of course, his son. Well, he's two sons. He's two Ike sons. Barinholtz, the lesser known the Barinholtz. I don't know. Do you know his? The, I don't the even lesser know his name. known Holtz and Ike. Yeah. Yeah. Ike yeah, from Mad TV, from the Mindy Kaling Project, yeah, from he's been History of the World. I don't know. I've been oh, watching Blockers. That. He's. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, he's, yeah, he's yeah he's of in course. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, great guy. Oh, he's in um, After Party. So there's many um, things he's in. Anyway, that that's a bit of trivia. But the craziest part of this overall is that the Emmy Awards were just announced. And mm-hmm. this show has been nominated for four Emmy Awards for casting, which we mentioned, very appropriate, <laughs> writing, best comedy yeah. series, and best supporting actor for James Marsden for playing himself in the show. It's crazy. And uh, it's a slight spoiler here, but the first person he called was Ronald. So you can take that for what it is after you finish the show in terms of you know the relationship after the fact but uh, anyway great for james Barnes. he totally deserves it as soon as i finished watching i'm like this guy deserves it it's again to have an actor of that caliber be willing to make fun of himself and as you said stay in character all day it's it's great so um anyway that was the last little bit of trivia for this section Okay, so us, if we are revisiting artificial sweeteners, you lived in a, a utopia of sorts, a world where you thought artificial sweeteners do not affect you negatively in any way. Now what, bro? Why are we revisiting? What did the who say? And you told me the less research I do, the better. And I, for one, will always heed your advice. So I did very little research on this, but I do know... A couple of things, but let's, uh, yeah, tell me what is the WHO um, saying? What has changed since we did our last episode, like just six weeks ago or so? Yeah. So somebody I know, I won't mention them, was like, oh, you got to talk about aspartame on the show. I'm like, we already did that episode. You don't listen to the podcast. And they're like, is that how you talk to people? (laughs) 
It's yeah. like how you talk to your mother and sister. Was it your sister? <laughs> Basically. Your sister? Anyway, um, shall remain nameless. But I was like, yes. they're like, no, the new news article that just came out. So in fact, this stuff was released at the end of June. This this kind of information released before the actual reports came out. So I said, let's wait till the reports come out and see what people are all getting excited about. And it's just aspartame, by the way. It's not the other sweeteners. Okay, that's the first thing. It was yep. just about aspartame. Sucralose is still super good for you. Yeah. So no, well, anyway, so we talked about that on a previous episode. So I thought, okay, we should probably revisit this. As you said, a bit of a history of aspartame discovered in 1965 by James M. Schlatter. He's a yeah, he's, good for Schlatter, but also not not just by Mr. Schlatter, but also by accident. Exactly. He was working for a company called J.D. Searle. And he was trying to generate basically this hormone called gastrin, like generated in the lab because they want to use it for uh, treating peptic ulcer disease. So he discovered its sweet taste when he licked his finger prior to like turning over a page in a notebook because he had some of the stuff on his hand. He said, oh, this is sweet. We all know licking your finger anymore to like get those plastic bags at the um, grocery store does not occur anymore. Hopefully, after COVID, oh, it does. It does? Yeah, it does. It does. So people, people got to be people, man. The trick <laughs> is you yeah. go. Okay, guys, here's a life hack. I should yeah. post this so I can become an influencer on TikTok. Hilarious. I have to get back on TikTok. And many problems with this, but you go to the section of the produce where they have those sprayers. Right, the sprayers would spray the water. You just touch a bit of the side of yeah, the. Yeah, everybody knows that oh. trick. You're not uh, reinventing grocery shopping. Rub, rub your thumb on a radish and then open the bag. Well, don't that's... rub it on actual produce that's wet because now you're causing the same problem. Might as well just lick your fingers. God, sakes. Go. Anyway, okay, so we'll post to some news articles about this, and we'll also post the actual findings from the WHO. So they released a news release that came out July 19th. Like I said, it was kind of leaked about a month beforehand, and then it came out. So this was a joint kind of release by two organizations. The first is the International Agency for Research on Cancer. That's IARC. Then, separately, there's the World Health Organization and the Food and Agriculture Organization. Okay, so so now it's... The separate statement is by two other organizations, WHO and the FAO, who created what's called the Joint Expert Committee on Food Additives, which is called the JECFA. Okay? All right. So what did they say? Overall, what they said, they said there's limited evidence for carcinogenicity in humans, and the IARC, that first organization, classified aspartame as possibly carcinogenic to humans. And they classified it as group 2B. I'll explain what that means in a second. And I'm just going to call it JECFA, which is that kind of WHO and FAO organization. The like, Joint Committee, yeah. Yes. They reaffirmed the acceptable maximum daily intake as being 40 milligrams per kilogram of body weight. That's all that they said. So why don't we break down each of these kind of statements, and I'll try and explain what exactly happened in all these. Okay. So the IARC, which is that first body I was telling you about, the International Agency for Research on Cancer, they basically got 25 experts from 12 different countries, and they had a nice meeting in Lyon, France. I'm sure they had nice catering. Great food. Yeah, 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 uh, with no additives. (laughs) 
No, because it's France, and exactly. no French person would dare to demean themselves with garbage food like we do. So, yeah, okay. So, they basically reviewed all published studies or publicly available studies on cancer in humans and experimental animals regarding key carcinogens, specifically aspartame. And so, basically, what they found is that they looked specifically at evidence for causing a specific kind of cancer, which is a liver cancer, hepatocellular carcinoma. In the end, they looked at tons of studies, but they only really found three that had any significant findings. So in three studies, a positive association was observed between uh, consumption of these sweeteners and the risk of liver cancer. But they indicate that because a lot of these studies are observational studies, which we've talked about before, they have what's called a risk of chance bias. So chance just could be coincidence. Bias, because you're looking at specific populations, it's not a randomized trial, you're not randomizing groups, or confounding bias. So so confounding factors could be maybe there's another factor in addition to the use of artificial sweeteners that could predispose you to hepatocellular cancer. So for example, perhaps diabetes, if people have diabetes, right, they might be more predisposed to use artificial sweeteners and maybe they have predisposed for cancer. I'm not saying that's the case in this, but that's an example. Or maybe if someone's obese, they might want to use artificial sweeteners and maybe they have a predisposition for cancer. So they said there are some problems with these and you can't say that these things like chance bias or confounding factors they could just be the explanation for what we see, okay? They also found that there's some limited evidence in experimental models. So they looked at mouse and rat models. and But again, because of the experimental design of these, they said that the evidence is very limited, even in these animal models. And then finally, for this group, what they want to see is, is something possible to cause cancer? Is it possible that, the, uh, that, that aspartame could cause cancer? So you also need to prove somehow, usually with laboratory studies, what's the mechanism? How would aspartame itself affect your body and cause cancer, right? Like what's, the, what's going on at the molecular and cellular level? So they said there is some evidence that aspartame causes what's called oxidative stress, and may cause chronic inflammation and cause cell death, but that's very limited evidence as well. So you can probably see that I keep using the word limited evidence, right? Because yep. that's what it said. And if you remember, the very first thing they said was that there's limited evidence about aspartame causing cancer. That's what the IARC said. But they classified it as category 2B in terms of the ARC monographs hazard classification. So I'll put a link. Was it was it classified in another group previously? I don't believe so, though I'm not sure. Okay. So it has moved up into a classification. It was unclassified previously. Yeah, I'm not sure if it was group three or group two B, but let's go through these groupings because I think it will help people to kind of classify this. So Ali, if you scroll down on a Google Doc to this diagram, it's the very bottom. Uh, and like I said, I'll link to this. Okay, so there's there's four different groups, but two A and B are like two of them. So that's why there's not four groups. Anyway, you know what I'm saying? One, two, A, two, B, three. Okay. So group three, okay, is the very bottom. This is the lowest level of certainty because there's inadequate evidence in humans and inadequate evidence in animal models that they cause cancer. So what kind of substances do they look at? Coffee, mercury, Tylenol, right? Acetaminophen. They're saying basically there's inadequate evidence. So we cannot say at all uh, that, and, and basically it's not classifiable. 
the highest level is group one. So aspartame would have lived in the group three, not classifiable as uh, as to its carcinogenicity? <laughs> A carcinogenicity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it was not classifiable beforehand. So if we jump to group one, then these are things that are clearly known to be carcinogenic to humans. So tobacco smoking, solar radiation, ionizing radiation. So from nuclear blasts, things like that, people who get repeated uh, radiation for scans, we know that those things have a risk of cancer. And of course, don't forget consumption of alcoholic Mm. beverages, which we've talked about several times, but it's just like people don't believe you when you tell them. So this is for sure has been shown. There's no argument about this. Then there's groups 2A and 2B, okay? So 2A is probably carcinogenic to humans. So there's limited evidence in human studies, but sufficient or pretty good evidence, you know, my paraphrasing, in experimental studies. Okay? So what are, what's in group 2A? Admissions from high-temperature frying, DDT, the chemical DDT, right? Mm-hmm. Excessive consumption of red meat, and night shift work. So night shift work is carcinogenic? Apparently so. I, I wow. don't know very much about that. It's probably worth another episode to talk about the so. evidence for Given that. Given that there's sufficient evidence. Yeah, that group 2A. Experimental but animals. limited in humans, but sufficient in animals. So again, I again we can go through that at some other point. So aspartame is 2B. So they're saying limited evidence in humans, less than sufficient evidence in experimental animals. So it is kind of a weird classification. They're not saying there's inadequate evidence. That would make it level oh. three. So things like that, gasoline engine exhaust, <laughs> occupational exposure as a hairdresser or barber, and lead. Lead, so, lead feels like it stands alone there. Yeah. But I, I also was reading, I'm sorry, I did read something. Uh, what? I went against. It was just a Reuters, Reuters.com article. Mm-hmm. This making aspartame a possible carcinogen and putting it into group 2B means, I quote, that there's limited evidence showing a potential cancer link and puts it in the same classification group as aloe vera extract and some Asian pickled vegetables. I was like, what? what? <laughs> so, 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 this is, so this is why, okay, really, do we think like... What's going on with 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 the guy who cuts my hair? Is he? I mean, I don't know. So I think it just means that you probably need to look into it a bit more. I'll kind of wrap things up at the end and tell you what kind of the prevailing thoughts is on on these two statements. But let's talk about this other one, this Jekfa statement, which remember that's this joint organization with the WHO and the FAO. So. What did they say? They just re basically they just re-upped the statement that says that there is no sufficient reason to change the previously acceptable daily intake of up to forty milligrams per kilogram of body weight for aspartame. Yeah, you should tell people what that how that what that looks like. Forty forty yeah. milligrams. So good point. A can of uh, a diet soft drink would have two hundred or three hundred milligrams of aspartame. The average adult weighs between 50 to, let's just say, 70 kilograms. So you would need to consume 9 to 14 cans per day to exceed the acceptable daily intake. And are you, Asif Doja, in that 9 to 14 category? No comment. Okay. Anyway, moving on. No, just joking. I'm not. I probably have the, I probably have the equivalent of uh, probably four, though. 
So, but you're out of the aspartame world because you're into the Coke Zero world. That's right, exactly. So now world, you're right. using other ones, sucralose, whatever. And so again, this is just aspartame. There's insufficient evidence for everything else. So this, what's this based on, though? That's the question. This acceptable daily intake, which is called an ADI, is based on in 104-week study in rats exposed to aspartame in their diets. And basically, there were a lot of negative studies when they tried to look at these this risk of aspartame. They looked for different cancers, pyocellular, again, the liver cancer, breast cancer, uh, lymphoma, multiple myeloma, which is another type of blood cancer, and bone cancer. And they couldn't find a consistent association observed. And again, there's a high risk in these studies that they looked at in terms of bias, lifestyle factors, socioeconomic factors, other dietary factors that you can't say. So basically, the committee concluded that the evidence of an association between aspartame consumption and cancer in humans is not convincing. And they concluded there's no convincing evidence from experimental animal human data that after ingestion, aspartame has the ability to cause adverse effects. So... Basically, that's why they said, okay, we already said 40 milligrams per kilogram per day will be the maximum, so we're not changing it based on a review of, of the current evidence. So nothing really changed, basically. So why are we doing this episode? Exactly. So because because people are, were getting all worked up about it. And, and like we have the Reuters article that we're linked to, but that you mentioned, but every it was everywhere, right? CNN, Time Magazine, everybody talked about this this new thing. You know, it's it's possibly carcinogenic. So the real question is, as you're saying, what does this mean? And are they kind of, is it just being confusing for the sake of being confusing? Are they saying different things? But a good way to look at this is that the two findings are actually complementary, okay? The two groups actually work differently. The IARC is trying to look for signals in the literature that something may be a hazard in terms of causing cancer based on limited, even with limited evidence. They want to flag, like there's a flag, there's a signal here that we're seeing. That's why I, when I listed other things that were 2B, they're quite unusual, but they just deserve more investigation. Why would mm -hmm. it be that being a hairdresser or a barber, like what exactly is it about their job that might predispose them to it? What else do we have to look into? So whereas the JECFA group they assess the real life risk, the realistic risk to you for consuming aspartame, right? So there's a difference, right? One is detecting the signal and saying you need to do more studies, and Jack first assesses the real life. So as an example, sunlight we know causes cancer, right? There's no question that the radiation from sunlight can. But there are some caveats, right? The risk depends on the amount of sunlight you get, whether you use protection like sunscreen or not. So same thing, even if aspartame causes cancer at very high amounts, when you use it in low amounts, it seems to be fine. Just like if you wear sunscreen, you decrease the risks of the sun's radiation. But probably increase the risk of something else from the sunscreen. But that is neither here nor there and unrelated to our discussion today. I'll leave it with Dr. Francesco Branca, who is the director of the Department of Nutrition and Food Safety at the WHO. He says the assessments of aspartame have indicated that while safety is not a major concern at the doses which are commonly used, potential effects have been described that need to be investigated by more and better studies. And I think that's a good summary. And that's all it means.
So hopefully this was clarifying things to you and de-escalating your your anger at the concern. Uh, sure. If you're drinking between nine and fourteen cans of aspartame filled, I mean you're you have bigger issues than aspartame, right? You're running from something. You need some help. That come on, let's let's be real. You can't be drinking nine cans of anything. It's insane. So just watch your consumption of aspartame. I guess right, mm-hmm. like you like you always did. Change nothing. But you know what you don't have to watch your consumption of? Ronald Gladden. Get some more of that guy into your life. And that guy, by the way, in case it's been too long, he is the one non-actor in the show. This has been too long, like the 20 minutes of talking about has 20 minutes. If you you went too deep, we went to mice, to rats, to aloe vera, Asian pickled vegetables. We've taken a journey here. Jury duty, needless to say, Asif and I both recommend it. Let us know what you guys thought about this. In fact, you'll have a good month off where we will not be having any episodes. So we're going to take the month of August off. Uh, We will be back in September or the first week of September with brand new episodes. Obviously, if something really huge comes up, we may do an emergency episode, but otherwise... Emergency. Yeah, that's right. But otherwise, we'll be back in September. We have what I would call a catalog, over 100 episodes of stuff we're pretty proud of uh, having put out there. And if you have comments and stuff we've done in the past, I know that Asif will still read the emails all throughout August. And then I will read the ones that he sends to me and tells me you should read this. Totally. So reach out to us, drvcomedian at gmail.com, drvcomedian on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We are everywhere. And remember that although I'm a doctor, I'm not your doctor. Medical issues we talk about are for your interest and information only, and they're not medical advice. Please consult your medical professionals for actual medical advice. Thanks for listening. Bye.